Well, turn with me, if you will, in, in your Bibles or in your service sheets uh, to Galatians chapter 1. Uh, that's on page 913 of the, the church Bibles, if you grabbed one of those while you came in. Galatians 1, uh, and I, I'll talk a bit about the, the context for this, this book but uh, during the sermon. Uh, but it's a, it's a letter uh, from the Apostle Paul uh, to a, a group of churches in a, in a region of the world uh, that was at that time called Asia Minor. Today it's called uh, Turkey. Uh, and they're, they're in this region called uh, Galatia. Now Paul had been there before. Uh, he had helped start the church kind of like the, we're starting today. Uh, Paul was there uh, helping them to get started. And then he's, he's writing this letter a number of years later as he's heard about uh, concerns and, and problems in the church in Galatia. And so this is God's word. Uh, Galatians chapter 1. I'll be reading verses 1 through 10 this afternoon. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ, and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, are, if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now speak, seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forevermore. Now, as I was, as I was thinking about the sermon over the last few weeks, I was, uh, I was struck by the fact that probably every single uh, one of us here this afternoon is wondering, uh, what is, what is this, this church uh, all about? Uh, and I, I didn't really want to begin with, a, with kind of a, a one-off uh, sermon that's, that's focused on our vision as a church because uh, that's not actually what we're about. Uh, at Grace Church, uh, we aren't about a, a vision statement. Uh, we, we aren't about uh, a single uh, a minister or leader uh, we aren't about uh, sort of uh, these, these things that, that often people get really excited about. At Grace Church, what we're really about is Christ. And we believe that, that the best way to know Christ is through, is through the Word of God. And we believe that, that, that uh, the best way for us to, to know the Word of God is through what we call expository preaching, which means that, that, uh, that we want God's Word to speak and one of the best ways for that to happen is to, to preach uh, through entire books of the Bible. So we're actually starting this afternoon uh, a series through the book of Galatians. However, as we begin this church and as we, as we begin this series, uh, I'm happy to say that, that actually uh, who we are as a church uh, is very clearly seen and, and captured, I think, uh, in these ten verses and throughout this letter. We actually uh, hear grace mentioned by Paul here, don't we? 
uh, in, in his greeting to the church. And our, our name is really important. We believe that, that grace uh, is the very heart of the gospel. And the idea, the, the truth that, that, uh, that, that, uh, of grace is that we, we cannot be made right with a holy God through our own actions or by, by keeping a set of rules. We can only be made right with a holy God by receiving the grace, the, 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 the merit of his son through faith. And we're going to unpack what that means a bit more uh, this afternoon and, and in the weeks ahead. But what I, what I really want us to see today in our time together is what is the gospel? You know, Christians talk about the gospel a lot, but, but what is it? Uh, it is an old word. It's, it simply means uh, good news. And as Christians, as, as people trusting in, in Christ and following Christ Jesus, uh, we believe that we have good news. Uh, we, we believe we have good news for, for Hammersmith and in and, and the entire world. But what is that good news? Well, we, we see it this afternoon in God's word. And there's three things that I, I'd like for us to see today from Galatians chapter 1. Uh, first of all, the authority of the gospel. Secondly, the, the heart of the gospel. And thirdly, the, the uniqueness of the gospel. Three things. So first of all, uh, the authority of the gospel uh, the, very, the very beginning of our passage here, the, the very first word, uh, we, we meet this guy named Paul. Uh, and Paul identifies himself as an apostle. Uh, I could spend a, a lot of our time this afternoon just, just defining terms for you, uh, but I'm not going to do that because that would be like reading the dictionary. Uh, and that's about as interesting as reading the dictionary. Uh, so, so let me just say, first of all, that, that the apostles were, were a group of men uh, who who had been witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Paul's witnessing was, was unique, and we'll, we'll learn more about his story in future weeks. But what I really want you to notice is where Paul claims that his authority to speak to these churches comes from. He doesn't claim that he's speaking on behalf of a group of men or that he's speaking on behalf of some uh, individual man. In other words, he's saying uh, that what he's about to teach is not is not some uh, closed-door conspiracy that he's speaking on behalf of, of, of some group, secretive group. Or, or what he's about to teach is, is not coming from some individual person that, uh, like, like a cult leader. Paul is making the clear and bold assertion that what he is teaching is actually uh, the Word of God. This letter he's writing, he's writing on behalf of, of the God of the universe. And that is a bold claim. And I, I would hope that, that we could all agree that it's, it's a serious thing to, to claim to be speaking for God. So then how, uh, the, the question becomes, what, what do we as, a, as a modern people do with this? How do we uh, evaluate the truth of Paul's claim? Well, I think there, there's an observation I'd like us to make uh, followed by a question I think is critical for us to ask. So first, the observation. Uh, notice that Paul offers evidence for this claim. He says not simply that he is speaking from God, but that he has a right to do so because of Jesus Christ. And here's what I mean. He states here that he's an apostle. Again, an apostle was, was a follower of Jesus who, who witnessed his resurrection uh, and Paul's apostleship, again, was, was different from the others, but, but Paul was a witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, which could only happen, Paul says, through the power of God. 
See, this would have been actually a, a powerful and relevant claim to authority for the church in Galatia, who Paul was writing to. The, the church was made up of a, a mix of, of Jewish uh, believers and, and non-Jewish believers called Gentiles. And this is powerful because most adherents to the, the Jewish faith at the time would have believed that, that the resurrection from the dead was, was the mark the, 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 of the establishment of the kingdom of God. And so Paul's saying this, this kingdom that you've been waiting for has come in Christ, and that we should therefore stop and take notice of it and adjust our hearts and our lives accordingly. Now my point's simply this. There's, there's a clear claim here to authority that's greater than any in our whole world. It's an authority that's greater than any of our, in our whole world. It's, 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 a, it's powerful, and it's bigger than you and I. It's bigger than, than any earthly authority or power. See, Paul says this power, this God, is so great, he has authority over even death itself. You know, we, we hear people, we, we hear uh, billionaires like, like Jeff Bezos, right, who who's, wants to start a company, uh, a biotechnology company, so that, because he believes that, that, uh, that, that with enough money and, and enough research uh, and enough uh, scientific expertise that, that uh, we can get to a point where, where humans live forever. But, this, but Jeff Bezos is the same guy whose, whose rocket ship can barely touch the edge of space. And if the last 18 months has taught us anything, it, from, from COVID, it's, it's that our mortality is always closer than we think, isn't it? See, we humans often think we have the answers to death, but we're always coming up short. Well, Paul stands up in this, this world full of death, and, and, he, and he says, I've seen a man who came back from the dead, and he offers you a true and living hope. And the, the question from this this, this bold assertion is shouldn't we stop and take notice? And then the next natural question is what, what proof do you need? Who or what do you, do you trust in for truth? What do you look to, to to understand who you are? Where you've come from? Why, why you're here? Where you're going? And what's the point of, of all of this? See, these are our deep questions. They're watershed questions. Because ultimately, none of us can escape them. Because in them, we find meaning. See, for most of us, our default position is to assume that what we see is what we get. That the world is, is what there is. And what really matters is right here in front of us. But if there is a God... Uh, and if there is a God, then, then we assume he's distant and, and, and unaware. Uh, or perhaps he's a spirit that's everywhere, but it's impossible to know, and is thus irrelevant. See, this is why what Paul is claiming is so brilliant, isn't it? And it's worth stopping, and it's worth taking notice of. He says that, that God isn't distant at all, that he's present and active in our world. He says there... There was, in fact, a, a moment in history when God came crashing in 
in the person of Christ Jesus. And the power of God in him was in full display through his death and resurrection. So I ask you again, what, what proof do you need? What evidence will satisfy? And you may be thinking, Rob, that what you're saying isn't actually proof or evidence. It's simply a claim, and, and that's fair enough. And we could go into, uh, we, we could talk about external evidence um, that's, that's actually beyond the scope of the sermon this afternoon. Otherwise, we'd be here for quite a long time. I'd be happy to talk with you over tea and coffee uh, about some of the external evidence. Um, I'd love to, to maybe have a, a cafe evening where we talk through some of these things. Um, but what I want to ask you to do is to, to not just dismiss this out of hand. I'm asking you uh, to, to give the message of the gospel a chance for you know, the next, next 15 or 20 minutes. For now, let's, let's simply acknowledge that, that the gospel claims a unique authority and that, that Paul at least offers a reason for his authority, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. There's a unique authority and there's a reason for it. But the real brilliance of the gospel is not only in, in the authority, where the message comes from, but really what the message is, what it has to say to us and we begin to hear that message in our, our second point this afternoon, where, where we hear the, the heart of the gospel. Look, look with me back to verses, verses 3 through 5 here. Uh, Paul says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, as we look at these verses, there's, there's a lot of things we could say about, about the context. Again, Paul's writing to uh, a group of churches uh, in this little part of the world called Galatia. Uh, it was a province, a, a province of Rome, uh, again, in modern-day Turkey. And we, we may think that there's very little that we have in common with, with these people uh, from the first century um, Middle East. But the, the truth is that they were people, just like you and I. They may not have had the internet. Uh, they, they may not have had uh, television or football uh, or all the things that, that we like in our modern world. They may not have been able to go uh, you know, to, the, to the shopping center for, for loads of different uh, clothing items and, and tech, technological toys. But they were humans. Like you and I, they were, they were all looking for, for meaning and purpose. Like you and I, they, they had fears and they had concerns. They wondered uh, what their children would, would grow up to be. They wondered, uh, you, would they be able to afford food or, or clothing or housing? Like you and I, uh, they lived in a world that was every bit as broken as our world is today. And this is the message that, that Paul proclaimed to them. You hear the essence of it in these, these three short verses. And I'll summarize it in, in three even shorter words. Uh, what? How? And why? What does Paul tell them about God? Verse 3, he says that he's a God who offers grace and peace. And since Paul's uh, writing to a religious audience, uh, he's probably cutting, uh, able to cut some corners that we can't uh, cut ourselves. So let's unpack this for, for just a moment. Some of you here uh, this afternoon may think that, that Christianity is this uh, series of rules or laws that, that we have to keep in order for God to, to love us or at the very least to put up with us. And that's how Christianity has been viewed for, for quite a long time now. 
Uh, and many of you have been put off by that idea. Uh, and maybe you're thinking that, that it just doesn't work. Well, there's good news for you. Uh, Paul would agree with you to a certain extent that trying to keep the law of God doesn't work. That God is a, a so perfect and so holy and so righteous that we could never live up to his standards. So then what's the purpose of the rules and the laws that we see in scripture? I'll give you one this afternoon. To hold a mirror up to us. To, to reveal to us who we really are. That we're sinners separated from God by our daily actions and attitudes. That there's a, a God-sized void in our lives that we, that we can't make right. Every one of us feels that and, and experiences that, don't we? It's that feeling you have when, when you have an argument with your, with your spouse or your partner or, or your good friend or even a work colleague. And you realize that you said some things uh, that were really awful. And you may try later to say that, that you didn't really mean them, but you can't take them back. And you may try to, to justify them by pointing to the awful things the other person said and the hurt and the pain that you felt. But it's still brokenness, isn't it? You feel it when the, the world uh, disappoints you, even in seemingly small ways. Our, our household, I don't know about you, our household got really excited about the, the Euro, Euro football final. You, we, we believed all the hype the media was selling us. We thought this was the moment, this for England in a major tournament. And when that first goal went in, we thought they're gonna do it. You know, it, too bad that it was only the third minute. But when that last penalty was missed, we were left horribly disappointed. And it's a silly example until you think about the, the abuse that the players received by those even, even more disappointed than we were. And many of you here this afternoon probably have more serious examples of, of that pain and that disappointment in your life. And you have deep scars from being sinned against. And here's the wonder of the gospel. Amidst our brokenness and our devastation, Paul offers us something new and different. He offers us grace and peace. Grace, in some ways, is, is the opposite of rule-keeping. In order to receive grace, you have to have someone who can offer it to you. And in order to offer it to you, you have to have someone who can afford to cover the cost of your sin. Now, I can't claim this example as my own, but, but here's what grace is. If, if I had you around to my, my home for, for Sunday roast, and we, and we sit down to dinner... Uh, and my wife brings out uh, the, the gravy boat, full of gravy. And, and she announces, this is my, my great-great-grandmother's gravy boat uh, that, that was passed down from generation to generation uh, in America. And now we've brought it to England. Uh, and it's, it, we could never have it replaced. It's, it's completely irreplaceable. And we, we pass the gravy around. And as it comes to you, uh, it slips and falls and smashes on the floor. Now we have a problem. We, we have a huge mess, and we have a, a priceless gravy boat that, that's completely shattered. Now one of us has to clean up the mess, and one of us has to absorb the cost of the broken vessel. Grace would be me saying, 
don't worry. I've got kitchen roll. And I've got the the funds or the glue or, or whatever it is to replace the gravy boat. I recognize I'm full of silly examples this afternoon. But if you stop and you think about everything you've ever done in your life, and all the things you can't take back, and all the things you can't undo, then you begin to get a sense of the greatness of the gospel and the wonder of the grace that Paul's talking about here. He says that Christ has enough grace to offer you peace with a holy and righteous God who you've offended with your sin. He says that we can have peace with God because Christ has has sufficient wealth through the, the life that he lived, through his death and through his resurrection. He has enough wealth to repair all the things that you've damaged, all the gravy boats of your life that you've smashed. Jesus can repair it. And that's actually, that's actually the how as well. How are we made right with God? How do we have peace with him? The answer very simply, verse 4, because Jesus gave himself for our sins. And that's a beautiful and simple phrase that, that opens up to us the, the wonder of the gospel. Six simple words that can change our lives and our whole world. In fact, he tells us that the the grace of God in in Jesus uh, will ultimately deliver us from the present evil age. We can't look at our world and and not see the evil in it, can we? We've spent the the last few weeks seeing the the devastation of lives in, in Afghanistan and people desperate to flee. Why? Well, they wanted to flee because they're evil men with a history of doing evil things who look to have triumphed in that land. And there are people who are fleeing injustice, and there, there are people who are fleeing worse. They're fleeing for their lives. And that is the world that we live in. That's the world that we've made for ourselves. It may feel uh, to us distant and far away, but, but there are people coming uh, to this country. You see, you see videos and photos of them coming off, coming off the plane who have felt and experienced the brokenness of our world in a profound way. And what Paul points us to here is the purpose of God in sending Christ. He sent Christ to open up a whole new kingdom and a whole new future and a whole new world. The world that we see today, this world of suffering, of evil, where refugees have to flee for their lives will not be the world that we'll see forever. One day, someday, when Christ returns, he will claim the world as his kingdom. And when he does, all the wrongs you see will be made right. And grace and peace will reign. But why? That's actually a very important question, isn't it? Isn't it? Why? Why does Christ offer this undeserved grace and peace from God? Why does he offer us this, this future to look forward to? Verse 4 tells us, doesn't it? Because God wanted it that way. And that's the best reason. It's all happening according to the will of our God and Father. And this is where we see, this is where we see the heart of God towards people like you and I. This is where we see uh, the, the heart of God for sinners. He's a God who longs to save his people. He's a God who, who loves to show kindness to even, even to us when we're in our sins. 
This is the very heart of the gospel, that while you and I were sinners, Christ died for us. And the reason for it was not because he saw something in you. It wasn't because uh, we had done something to get his attention. It wasn't because we were able to, to keep his laws just well enough. The only reason for it is that God wanted to because he loves us and he delights to save his people. Now let that sing in for a moment. The God of creation loves you enough to give his own son for you. That's extraordinary. Folks, that is the message that you will not hear anywhere else. You won't hear it in any other religion or in anything else in all the world that we look to for hope. The greatness of the gospel is seen in its uniqueness. And the uniqueness of the gospel is that it offers real hope. And that's what we see in our third and final point this afternoon, a much shorter point, the uniqueness of the gospel. In verse 6, Paul uh, begins to, to get into the real meat of what he's writing to the church about. And there's clearly problems, and we'll, we'll get to those problems uh, in the weeks ahead. But listen to, to how Paul leads off. He says he's astonished that they've so quickly deserted the gospel message in exchange for another gospel, even though there isn't actually another, there, there isn't actually another one. The gospel of Jesus is, is unique. There's only one way to be made right with God. Anything else is, is a false substitute that will ultimately disappoint us. And you hear that, don't you? In the, the strong way Paul is, is, condemns the ones he would try and proclaim another gospel. And again, in the weeks ahead, we'll, we'll learn exactly what these, this false gospel was. But what I want us to, to recognize this afternoon, very briefly, is how easily satisfied we are with the promises of false gospels. I'll give you a non-religious example. Uh, last week I was reading a, a commentary in, in the Times newspaper. And the, the writer was, was arguing that we should stop spending uh, money and time wiping down surfaces on like trains and things. Because all the scientific papers and uh, in, in all the best scientific journals have proven that, that uh, COVID really doesn't spread from, from surface contact, or at least only in very rare situations. Now, I, I don't want to, to get into an argument about whether he's right or not. Uh, I do believe we should take COVID seriously, very seriously. And I do think that generally it is a good idea to wipe down surfaces. I think we can all agree on that, right? It's kind of gross not to, uh, regardless of COVID. But here's my point. When this, when this writer asks uh, civil servants why uh, the cleaning guidance hasn't changed, uh, the response was what he got was, well, one, uh, the government doesn't pay, have to pay for it, the train companies do. Two, no one's going to get promoted for, for getting this change. And three, uh, you're, not, you're never going to be a hero for saying, let's be less sanitary and not wipe down surfaces. But what it really came down to as, as, he, as he talked to these, these civil servants was, uh, they basically were saying, it doesn't matter if it works or not, as long as it makes people feel better or safer. They said, it, it doesn't matter if it works or not. It creates a psychological impact that, that makes people feel better or safer. What I'm going to suggest, and I don't think this is a huge leap, is that this isn't only our approach to cleaning, but it's also our approach to faith. 
It doesn't matter if, if meditation works or makes us right with God or if doing good works makes us a better person or if embracing freedom and just doing as we like because we aren't really sure there's a God actually helps us live a full existence. It doesn't matter if any of that uh, is true or if any of that actually works as long as it makes us feel better. This is the very heart of the false gospel. Truth doesn't matter as long as we feel better. And you'll see more of this in the weeks to come. But this is the uniqueness of the true gospel and the reason why we can often be so resistant to it. Because it reveals to us who we really are and it calls us to trust in another, someone outside of ourselves, to make it right. But we would rather trust in things that don't work because they make us feel momentarily better. And that's why Paul says he's astonished. He can't believe this church that embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ had so quickly abandoned it for these things that would ultimately leave them broken. But that's our hearts. We are, at our core, lost and wandering people looking to our own selves and our own world to satisfy us. And the results are tragic. Uh, there was a, a young man in the U.S. years ago named uh, Chris McCandless, uh, who in the early 90s grew uh, unsatisfied with his, his middle-class life. And so he decided to, to set out on a journey to, to find himself. At least that's, that's how we used to call it in the States. I'm, I'm going to go and find myself. Uh, often they would go to Europe. I don't know where you go if you live in Europe. Um, this guy actually decided to go and travel uh, the, the American West and explore the vastness there. And he ends up uh, in Alaska where he decides to take uh, a limited amount of supplies and set off into the wild. And that's actually the name of the, the book and, and film uh, based on, on his life, Into the Wild. You may have, have heard of it. But he settles into um, an old abandoned uh, camper bus and he, he kept a journal. And when he ran out of food, uh, he had a, a book that helped him uh, forage for, for roots and plants that he could eat. But then when he, he wanted to leave, he found a problem. His way was blocked by a raging river that had turned from a, a trickle to a flood uh, due to the snow melt in summer. One of his last journal entries simply said, I'm trapped in the wild. His body was found on the, the 6th of September, 1992. What this, this young man thought was freedom tragically ended in his death. Folks, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ is brilliant because it is so unique. The gospel often feels like death, but it's actually giving life and hope and freedom to where our, our world and our own hearts say that it doesn't matter if something is true as long as it makes us feel better. The gospel says it may hurt now, but the truth will ultimately free us. So are you, are you tired of trying to find your own answers to the brokenness and burdens of life? Well, then Jesus himself invites you to come to him we heard it earlier this afternoon in our words of assurance when we confessed our sin. Come to me. If you are laboring and laden, 
and I will give you rest. The gospel of Jesus Christ is truth and it is life and it is rest for the weary. But it requires us to lay aside the the things we've trusted in and to look to the Savior that our loving God has given to pay the penalty for our sins. And we at Grace Church exist so that you may know this grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we might know the great love of God the Father, that we might experience the fellowship that is the friendship we have with one another and with this great God through the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we cannot begin to thank you for your wonderful and amazing grace. Grace that you have given us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Grace that was so costly and that it cost him his own life that he freely laid aside to take up again for us. So, Father, as we, we go from here, uh, we pray, Father, that, that, that we would uh, embrace the truth of your word and the hope that, of Christ Jesus, that you would shape our lives around him more and more each day. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.